Good morning, everyone. Uh, so like Chase said, my haired head will preach this morning, uh, and I'm honored to be giving this message and standing in front of you from what started as just uh, small youth messages uh, has ended up in this amazing opportunity to stand before you today. Uh, so before I start my message, I'd like to say a quick prayer for us. Dear Lord, uh, give uh, this message today to resonate with someone for everyone here to get something from it, to have something that lasts longer than just today. Thanks for everyone being able to be here and for us to be able to fellowship and be together and be the church. And in your name I pray, amen. Uh, so for today, uh, I'd like to start with a quote. The quote says, Levi, there we go. Uh, the potential long-term consequences of the persistent stress and trauma created by the pandemic are particularly serious for our country's youngest individuals, known as Generation Z. Our 2020 survey shows that Gen Z teens and Gen Z adults are facing unprecedented uncertainty and are expecting elevated stress, are experiencing elevated stress, and already report symptoms of depression. This is from the American Psychological Association. They publish a yearly journal called Stress in America. This is from the 2021 about the pandemic and the stress on our generation. But what originally got me on the scene uh, of this journal was in a public speaking uh, thing. Uh, I did a speech, and it was about the 2018 Stress in America Journal, which signa uh, focused heavily on Generation Z. And there's a few statistics that I got from it, a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, but what it said was that uh, our generation, Gen Z, is the most depressed, the least hopeful, and reports the highest amount of stress in all the other generations combined. Here's the data, here's some charts. I'll say that again. Gen, Gen Z, the people in this room are the most depressed and hopeless. And that spoke to me, and I was like really impressed. I was uh, taken aback. I was like, wow, that's, that's me, my people. 91% of Gen Z between ages 18 and 21 say they've experienced at least one physical or emotional symptom due to stress in the past months. That was really surprising to me. 91% is a large number. That's this portion of the room. Say they've experienced a physical or emotional symptom. I feel like sometimes uh, that we look at stress and depression as just a mind thing, something not to worry about. You know, it's just in our heads. Man up, grab your bootstrap, get back up, you'll be fine. But I don't think that's the right mentality because this is clearly a physical thing that affects my generation. And it's not just me. 74% uh, of adults overall have felt symptoms. It's not just teens, it's a world epidemic. Depression and suicide are higher than they've ever been. Depression rates in 1990 was 172 million up to 258 million in 2017. A 50% increase in depression. This is clinically diagnosed symptoms. A physician was involved. 50% in the last 20, 30-ish years. So although it is a global pandemic of depression and uh, this void that everyone's feeling, there's, something, there's some unique situations. Uh, something in my psych, psychology class always stood out to me. It was the thing they said, anorexia is uniquely American. Anorexia is an eating disorder caused by people who look at themselves and they go, I could be thinner. I could be, I'm not what I want to be. This isn't perfect. This isn't ideal. This isn't me. And so they starve themselves and uh, induce vomiting just to try to get thinner. They can't see their true selves. They see a disappointment and they're never satisfied. There's always more they can do, and they have a warped view of themselves. So not only do we have a problem with depression as a global thing, we have American things as anorexia and a very specific large margin of my generation. 
it just gets, seems to get worse. So what can we do? Uh, well, my original title was We Can Inspire Happiness. But I had a problem with happiness. I didn't like the word happiness, and it's not just because I can't spell it. Uh, it's because uh, I feel like there's a worldly happiness and a godly joy. Happiness to me is more of like a chemical, uh, like, like dopamine or adrenaline. Uh, it's situational. It, cause, it happens in the moment. Uh, and I'd love to give an example, but I'd rather just show you. This is me, right? There's me, right? Fumble, throw, interception, boom. Now wait. Look at his little face. Happiness. Now, I, I, that was a really fun moment right there uh, in my grandparents' yard, but I probably didn't do much more that game and got tackled. And so that happiness was very, situa uh, very circumstantial because I probably didn't do much more else that game. But at that moment, I was very happy, but I don't know if I had joy, like everlasting joy. So happiness is circumstantial, and since it is so, I think it can be manipulated. I think it's very clear how you can mani manipulate it. Drugs and alcohol plague our nation, and even my generation. Schools take a uh, survey, 6th, 8th, 10th, and 12th grade. Take a survey, Kansas Communities That Care survey, I took it this year, and I remember it, and it measured statistics for not only uh, the state, but also my county, Anderson County, Creston Anderson County High School, took the survey. And after the survey, I took it this year, after the survey, they were like, these results are going to be skewed, because I lied. I didn't, I didn't tell them the truth, which is what makes these numbers even more outstanding. How easy would it be if you wanted to get alcohol? Here's very easy and sort of easy. Up the left, you'll see our county average, and on the right, you'll see the state, our county thinks it's very easy to get alcohol. Over 50% say it's easier, sort of easy. Would you be seen cool if you were drinking? Here's every response. Very pretty, some, little, or no chance. Higher, in, higher than the state every single time, Anderson County. When I'm an adult, will I drink? 61% of respondents said they would when they're an adult, they'll drink. Will I do marijuana? 13%, 3% higher than the state. Uh, on the left is lifetime. Lifetime uses of LSD and cocaine at least once. Higher than the state, higher than the state. And in the past 30 days, how many times have you used crack cocaine and methamphetamine? Very much higher, relatively. Our county and the state average. Past, in the, during the past 30 days, how do you usually get alcohol? From a store or family member higher than the state. This was shocking to me. Our, our generation is far above the state. This county, our area, people in this church, people around this community, we're higher than the state. This is what this told me. This has told me that it's easy, ac easily accessible. It's seen as cool. It's already in our culture, and it's expanding. We're getting desperate. We're being enabled. Desperate for what? I think our generation is seeking these fake highs. I think we're seeking drug and alcohol. Where the alcohol and drugs are high in Anderson County because I think kids are seeking happiness. There's a void in them, there's an emptiness they're trying to fill, a void caused by loss of loved one or bad circumstances. So they attempt to fill it with drugs, alcohol, aggression, sexual sins, pleasures, anything they can, but it's not just our generation, I think it's everyone, especially during the pandemic, it's been, people are seeming, are finding it hard to find happiness, finding it hard to find joy, and so what's more than happiness, what can fill that void, and what's easier to spell? Joy. Uh, but I put everlasting joy because this isn't just like a happiness joy. This is like a soulful happiness, a divine comfort, or a spiritual joy that does not end, everlasting. It's not 
the chemical. It's not circumstantial. It's in us. It's our being. It's in our soul. So how do we get joy? Well, I think it is a process. In Acts chapter 2, 38, it says, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's break this down. Here's the process. First thing, I think we need to acknowledge our sins and repent. No one's perfect. We all mess up. We all sin. So the first thing is to recognize that. And I'd recommend praying. Praying something like, Lord, I am unworthy. In Isaiah 6, 5, it says, I, For I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among the mist of, mist, mist of people of unclean lips. We're surrounded by sin. We are engulfed in sin. We do sin. We mess up. And we need to recognize that and acknowledge that. And then in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins to him, he will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So once we acknowledge that we've messed up, once we acknowledge that we're not perfect, we can't handle this on our own, it says, He is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. So repent. And once you've repented, once you've accepted it, accept Him by baptism. You wash away your old self, you wash away your old expectations, your old habits, your old actions, you're made new. Colossians 2.12 says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because no one trusted the mighty power of God. That's not what that says. I'll read that again. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. When Christ was on the cross, he didn't just, uh, he didn't, he wasn't just up there alone. He had all the sins from the past, all the sins from the now, and all the sins from the future. And then when he died, he took all of that with him, and he took our old selves, and when he raised from the dead three days later, he brought us with him. New. Made new through baptism, the old is gone. And maybe you've already been baptized, and we talked about this at youth once. We said, should we be baptized again? For me, it was about eight years ago. For some, it might be more, 30, 40 years. Baptism, and stuff happens, and you sin, and you're like, man, I really have just fallen away, but I'm coming back, going back into God. Should I get baptized again? Uh, I don't think so. Because you already have the Spirit working within you. You already have the Spirit who can give you a spiritual baptism, a change from within. It says, Romans 10, 9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So if you already have the Spirit, if you already believe, if you've already been baptized, you can be saved. You can come back. And if you haven't, and you want to take that step, you can. So what do we do after we repent, we're baptized, what do we get? We get the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is powerful for me. It fights temptation. It resists the desires of my flesh. It conquers depression. It motivates change. It improves confidence, but most importantly, it inspires joy. In fact, it, uh, it moves in me to be able to do this and stand in front of you. Two years ago, I wouldn't have been able to do this. Two years, I wouldn't have been able to stand up here and talk. But because, like I said, motivates change and improves confidence, I'm able to stand up here and speak and be just a little nervous. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come alone. It comes with gifts, and Paul calls them fruit. Galatians 5, through 23, it says, What the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no laws against these things. My favorite point of this verse, the favorite, I, what I love about it, besides all the fruit, is that it's just fruit, not fruits, singular. It's not like you get joy and then love, and then you can take love back and get patience and self-control. It's one thing. You get them all. 
If you accept one of them, you get them all. If you have the Holy Spirit within you, you have access to all of them at once. But how do we get joy? It, seems, it just seems so hard to find joy. Well, Scripture has a few answers for us. I have loved you even, the, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. If we love God like he loves us, we love others like God loves them, and if we follow his commandments, we can receive joy. Romans 5, 2 through 5 says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward into sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help in develop endurance, and endurance, endurance develops strength of character, and character develops our confident hope in salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. If that sounds familiar, that's on one of our youth hoodies, the, one of the first ones. That verse is what makes that. It goes troubles into endurance, into strength, into hope. Uh, so we are unworthy of redemption. But it's through faith in Christ, like it said, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege. We can seek and find joy and happiness, peace, patience, and someday, heaven. But one of my favorite things, something I've learned from reading commentaries and about Paul's books, when he writes something, like he wrote Romans, he doesn't use two for no reason. He's not just putting two in there. We rejoice too. He's referring back to something also. And I think he's referring back to the confident and joyfully. So we can rejoice confidently and joyfully, when we run into problems, problems into endurance, or endurance, strength, character, character to hope. So we get joy when we run through the troubles. And to hit that home, there's more verses. First Peter 1.6 says, There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. So through trials, we can get joy. In James 1.2-4, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trials of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Trials, endurance, character, hope. And what happens when we get hope? I think joy. So as we go through each trial, as we come across something, it's a lot like a runner going up a hill. Maybe you don't make the hill. I couldn't make the hill. But maybe if I keep trying, if I keep fighting, if I keep having the trials and keep trying to win, I might get the hill someday. And then after I get that hill, I'm ready for the next one. I've built the endurance. I'm ready to go for the next hill. So like athletes, we need to train. So we have this joy now. We have hope. We get the hope that makes the joy. What do we do with the joy? We'll have three points, but we'll get to that. First one is reach the world. And I use the word reach for a reason. I didn't use, we're not sitting around for the world. We're not waiting for the world. We can't sit in here and hope they'll walk through the door. I used reach because I want us to go after them, to grab them and bring them here. We can't sit around in the church and wait for them to walk through the door we have to go out, hand out flyers, talk to people, meet people, to reach the world. One of the greatest examples I can think of is the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. Luke 15, 4 through 7 says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will we do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he can find it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over a lost sinner who repents and returns to God than, than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I don't think there's just one lost sheep. I think there's seven billion. 
when we're all we are all lost sheep at times. So we need to go after that passion. We need to reach the world. We need to rejoice when we get someone. When someone comes through the door, when we reach, instead of wait, when we grab them and we bring them here and we start to see change, we start to see them get inside the church and be involved, we should rejoice because we found a lost sheep and there's more joy in heaven when a sinner repents. So we should reach. But what do we do after we reach? Oops. We share. We share our hope. Mark 16, 5 through 16 is the share of the gospel. It says, Go into the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes is baptized, who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And in Luke 21, 12 through 17, it says, But before all this occurs, there will be a great time of persecution. You will be dragged into the synagogues and prisons. You will stand trial before the kings and the governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance how you will answer the charges against you. For I will be able... For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you, and everyone hates you. Everyone will hate you because you are my follower. This is, reminds me a lot of Romans 5. Through the trials, we get the endurance, get the character, get the hope. But there will be trials, but we need to count them as opportunities. So whenever something happens, you have the opportunity to share the gospel. And like it says, maybe you don't feel like you're qualified. Maybe you don't feel like you are able to share the gospel. You don't think you could. You can't stand up here on the stage and preach. There's no way you'd be able to do that. That's what I said two years ago. But God will give you the words and the wisdom. But maybe you feel like a hypocrite. Sometimes I can feel like a hypocrite. Uh, In fact, I sometimes uh, feel like as the pastor or as the speaker up here, I could be probably the most hypocritical because... I'm not qualified to speak up here in front of everyone. I mess up. I'm not perfect. I don't have a degree. But I think there's, there's a lot we can get for that. So in 1 Timothy, Paul writes, Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. So I don't think we need to worry about the older or the younger. If someone younger reaches out to you, hear them out. Maybe they have some wisdom. Maybe they got something. In Matthew 28, 18 through 22, says, Jesus came and told the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all commandments I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I can preach because Christ is in me. And because I feel like the old me is gone. I don't have to worry about the old me, my old problems, my what I mess up. Because Christ is in me and gives me the power to preach. And I think Paul probably would have known what that felt like too. Paul, who was Saul, persecuted Christians. He went around killing the people who he would later become friends with. And then he had a come to Jesus moment. And he became Paul. Who The people who saw Paul, I mean, previously persecuted, became his friends and the people he would write to in his books. He wrote to Timothy. He said, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, but I am the worst of them all. But God has mercy on me so that Christ Jesus can use me as a prime example for his great patience and even with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that too. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and return and receive 
eternal life. So, Paul felt like a hypocrite. Paul, Paul probably felt pretty bad about himself, but he knew that through that transformative power, through Christ living in him now, that he could be a prime example to the believers, and he went off to write many letters, some of which I've even referenced today in the scripture. Paul was a great man of God because of the transformative power of Christ, because he wasn't worthy and became worthy. So we, too, can share the hope. If you don't get it, the way we give joy, the way we get everlasting joy, is hope. We share the hope. And we can't find hope in other things. We can't find hope in money or people or idols or the government because they don't give our hope. They don't give us hope. They constantly fail. They're human and they mess up. But we can't have hope is we can have hope in God because everyone who seeks finds. God provides our needs. He won't let the godly starve. And he loves us. And that's just two verses of he loves us. I think the whole Bible is a description of how much God loves us. So and to recap we're reaching the world. We need to reach the world like the lost sheep find the ones who stray away and we need to share our hope. Share the gospel and equip yourself. Prepare yourself. Let the Holy Spirit work within you to prepare you to share the hope. But, so everyone can share their hope. I think, like for me, it didn't start instantly. I didn't start preaching. First, then I was, before then I was doing piano. Before that I did drums. Before that, not drums, guitar. Before that I did drums. Before that, I was on the, uh, in the back doing the computer. And before that, I was sitting by that AC unit, running my finger down, and stop that, Ben. So it's a, it can be a process. That was probably three years of me getting up here. And I still probably would run my finger through the AC unit. But it's a process to be able to get up here. But you can. And you can do it in your own way. You can maybe, maybe your share of the hope is just being a friend or a parent, a sibling helping someone out, making sure they're okay, giving someone a ride. Share the hope doesn't have to mean preach. I didn't say preach the hope. Share the hope. So everyone who accepts the Holy Spirit can have God speak through them, and they can help themselves be able to be spoke through by reading the Bible, by praying, by fellowship, being around people, learning how to share the hope, learning to have confidence. But what do we do? I feel like, I feel like we forget something. Sometimes... Uh, we can leave something out. We reach and share, but I feel like we, we don't remember. And when I say remember your family, I'm not meaning just your blood family, cousins, in-laws, whatever. I'm also meaning our church family. Do we remember the church family? Galatians says this, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Sharing each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So we share. I mean, we reach and we share. And we need to remember. And we need to continue to help. So once we get someone in the door, once we reach them, like the lost sheep, they're back. They're beginning to repent. And we share. We share their hope. They start to experience the joy. They start to go off on their own. They start to do their own thing. They become their own Christian. We need to continue to check up on them. Gently and humbly correct that person if they're messing up and share each other's burdens and be there for them. There's a commentary that I read. I gave this I read this scripture once at a youth thing and I found I found a commentary that I'd like to read. It says the overtaken need to be restored. They're not to be ignored, they're not to be excused, they're not to be destroyed. The goal is always restoration. This job of restoration is often neglected in the church. We have a tendency to either pretend that the sin never happened or we tend to react too harshly towards the ones who have sinned. 
This balance between the two extremes can only be negotiated by the spiritual. It should be normal to do what God says here, referring to Galatians, but it isn't. It's too easy to respond to someone's sin with gossip, harsh judgment, and undiscerning approval. So do we gently and humbly correct? Are we a church of gentle and humble correction? And do we share in each other's burdens? It's interesting to think about. Do we help each other? Do we check to make sure the other person's okay, your friend's okay, they're moving on, that they're not falling back into their sin, not falling back into temptation, not falling back into anger or addiction? Are we a church of restoration? Because, like, why reach? Why reach the people if they will fall later? Why share the hope if we can't keep them here, if they can mess up? Because why do anything if we can't help and continue to restore? We all sin. This isn't the end. You don't get baptized. You get dunked. You come up and you don't mess up again. You mess up again. So it's not the end. It it doesn't end after the baptism. It doesn't end after the share. You've got to continue to remember. It's a loop coming back always to remember. If we don't follow through, if we don't remember, there is no church. A builder doesn't build a building and then abandon it. Furnish it. Get it ready. Build it up. It's a glorious house. And then go and build the other one and not worry about it. No, they put someone in it. They take care of it. They uphold the house. And a runner doesn't run a marathon just to finish at the end. Right before the line, run around, run around. I couldn't do a marathon. I don't know. I'd quit before. Run around, and then you see the line, and you're like, oh, there's the line. And then you just stop. You go home. You don't do that. Likewise, you can't build Christians and then abandon them. You can't build Christians and then abandon them. So once we reach the world, once we share the hope, we need to remember the family. Restore the family. Not your blood family. Well, your blood family, but also the church family. Repair the family. And because they'll mess up, they'll need to be redeemed. need to know. They'll need to have that hope. Re-inspire that hope to inspire that everlasting joy. So how do we stop the depression and hopelessness of our world in my generation? It's hope. And through that hope, hope in Christ, hope in a salvation, hope that when we die, we will go to a place unadulterated happiness of joy we inspire everlasting joy through the hope of everlasting joy so we acknowledge our sins and we repent we be baptized and we accept Jesus and the Holy Spirit when we accept the Holy Spirit then we get everlasting joy ourselves through trials trials go to the endurance go to the character to the hope through that hope you get the joy and once you have it it's time to get to work it's time to reach reach the world and share your hope And then once you get them here, don't forget them. Remember the family. Remember the elders, the widows, the parents, the teachers, the teens, the depressed, the alone, the anxious, the afraid, the sick, the hopeless, the jealous, the angry, everyone. Everyone's going through something. Everyone has problems. We have to remember and help them. Like it said, like Scripture said, share each other's burdens, gently and humbly correct. So I have a challenge. This is a QR code. It's a link to this document. It's my sermon. It has everything that I taught. It has my points that I talked about. It has every resource that I used, scripture that I used, and some more scripture that I didn't use. Web, uh, it has websites, videos, and other documents that I've made. It's full of resources that you can use. I think everyone should find something from this message, find something from what I said, something from the Facebook video, something from this document. I'll share it with you. I'll get a way to give this to you. Find something, and I think you should share the hope. Start a conversation with someone, family, friends, coworker, brother, someone. 
cousin, in-laws, I don't know. Find someone and share the hope. Have a discussion. Maybe you'll show them that through their endurance, through their trials, they can have hope, and through that hope, they can have joy. Inspire joy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to give this message. Thanks for everyone here, for everyone who is able to hear this message, everyone who's been maybe motivated or inspired. Be with us to be able to be the church, to inspire joy, to inspire change. Uh, Be with us to give the hope that we have and be able to give it to the world who so desperately needs it. I pray for all the depressed, the alone, the sick, the, the widows, everyone here who may need a friend, who may need hope inspired in them. I pray that someone in their life walks up and can give that to them. I pray that we will we'll find hope if we don't have it. We'll give hope if we do. In your name I pray. Amen.